Welcome to Podcast with Lara Axtell. In each episode of Podcast, Lara explores a current educational topic to identify practical solutions to help improve the future of education. Podcast is brought to you by Reading Horizons, the creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. Visit readinghorizons.com to learn more. And now, Podcast with your host, Lara Axtell. We're so glad that you've joined us for the second episode in our two-part series on the shame-based trauma that may result from undiagnosed dyslexia. I'm Laura Axtell, the host of Podclast, and on our last episode, we heard from Greg, an adult with dyslexia, and Lindsay, the mother of a student with dyslexia, about the fear and shame that is frequently experienced by students with reading difficulties. During the last episode, I raised the issue of this type of long-term academic shame and anxiety as a possible precursor to trauma and even post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Today, you will hear from two more adults, Curtis and Tammy, about the lifelong impact that undiagnosed dyslexia has had on their lives. Listen to their descriptions and consider the prolonged emotional damage that may be occurring when children aren't adequately screened for learning difficulties and when educators don't have enough training and support to effectively prevent this type of early failure. Here's Curtis's story. I'm Curtis Pons. I'm a father of four children, two of which have dyslexia like I do. I come from a family where all of us were dyslexic. So both parents and all five of my siblings all had dyslexia. Preschool, I kind of felt like a rock star. I mean, preschool was full of building things, you know, blocks and towers and and Legos and tinker toys and puzzles. and, And it seemed like I was excelling at all of it. And everybody would, you know, come to look what Curtis did or, you know, can you imagine all these things that I was able to build, it was, you know, encouraging and uplifting. I felt good about myself. It was a lot of fun. So then transitioned from preschool now into kindergarten, where reading is starting to be introduced. We're learning our letters and I'm, you know, doing what I do and learning as best as I can. And I could see the other kids excelling at this and I wasn't. And uh, suddenly I didn't feel so good about myself. And I hate to use the word stupid, but as a kid, that's the word I used. First grade, even worse. I was always in the lowest reading class. So I didn't have very many successes in school. I uh, didn't excel at math. I knew a lot of people with dyslexia do, but that was not my strong suit either. I didn't have a long history of things that I was good at. I was okay at sports, but I wasn't great at anything really. And, uh, but when I found construction, I found that I was really good at it. I could visualize the things that, that needed to take place and, and was able to create some really beautiful things. I think that the, uh, you know, starting into construction when I was 14 was certainly, uh, good for me that I was able to see that I was really good at something but uh, I wasn't very good at the reading thing. And, you know, in, in school, it's funny that, that you're not ever given specifically a, an intelligence test, but every teacher praises those kids that take off with reading 
and they minimize the kids that don't. And you feel it as a kid. You know what's going on. You know that that's an intelligence test. Even though it's never stated that that's what it is, the kids who excel at reading are the smart kids. The kids who don't are the not so smart kids. And that's, that's the way it is, even today. I, I'm amazed that my uh, son that goes through the, the education process 40 some odd years after I have, and it's exactly the same. Teachers still praise those that take off on reading and minimize those who don't. And uh, I remember him coming home from school just spitfire mad, throwing his backpack down and yelling how stupid he was. I remember how, how difficult that was for me, but then to see my own son um, suffer with the same things that I did, and it's, it's brutal. The school system is nearly exactly the same as it was when I was in school, and I think what it comes down to is that the teachers are trained the same way today as they were, you know, 40-some-odd years ago, even even longer. And now that my wife has become a teacher, I didn't know that teachers weren't trained specifically on how to teach reading. I didn't know that there wasn't a specific way that you taught every lesson or that you taught the same program throughout the year. I, I had no idea that, you know, I just did my own thing in school and thought that the teachers were were highly trained. They knew exactly what they were doing, and I was getting the very best of of what their training had to offer to teach me how to read and do math and, you know, all the other things that, that you do in school. Absolutely blown away that teachers aren't trained in the science of how to teach reading. Still today, there is so much research in the science of teaching people how to read, but it's not getting to the teachers. And it is just mind-boggling that that's the case. And I think if I were taught by someone who had gone through serious training of how to teach reading uh, the most effective way, I wouldn't have suffered uh, like I have with not being able to read as well as my peers. Um, and the same with my children. They, uh, the ones who do have dyslexia experienced exactly the same thing that I did. And it's not right. It needs to change. They don't have to suffer like I suffered. There, there actually is uh, a way to learn how to read. And the earlier um, you start in that process, the better. So kindergarten is not too early. Preschool is not too early. There are things that can still be done to make sure that those pathways in the brain are working properly or at an accelerated rate to be able to, to take on reading when that time comes. It is so brutal when you're the person that doesn't think you're smart. Don't let your teachers make you think that you're not smart. Because learning to read is not a sign of intelligence. Thank you, Curtis, for your willingness to share your experience. We'll be right back. Podcast is sponsored by Reading Horizons, the creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. 
With data-informing software and teacher-led instruction, students receive targeted intervention that leads to rapid reading improvement. Visit readinghorizons.com demo to see if Reading Horizons is right for your school. During the last episode, part one, I discussed the possible connection between these early childhood educational difficulties and trauma that carries over into adulthood. While there is very little research on this topic, our next guest, Tammy, very clearly identifies this relationship in her life. Hi, my name is Tammy Larson. I am the co-owner of First Educational Resources. Earliest memories of reading would be probably in first grade, trying, 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 not even being able to read simple words. It was sitting there in the class, just like in a black hole, like, oh my gosh, everybody around me is reading right now silently or even out loud in class, and I can't get through any of this. And you just sit there in fear every moment that you're going to be called on to read out loud in class or to say anything in class because I was very mute. I did not talk. I did not participate in anything because I was so scared that I was going to be that child that was looked at as not the smart kid. So first grade, when I started feeling these feelings, um, because kindergarten, I never felt the feelings of the true deep feelings of dyslexia. Obviously, in first grade, I didn't know I had that. It was more of a I knew something was different about me. I knew I was the dumb kid. I knew I was embarrassed even just being in a class with kids that were quote-unquote normal kids. I knew that every single time either silent reading or reading out loud came about, I was the one sitting in this black hole, almost like not in the classroom, almost watching myself from a different view, like in panic the whole time. The anxiety would get to me quite a bit because of... I was not like anybody else. Um, I remember in first grade, my teacher, who would hand out worksheets all the time for the kids to do, I was never the kid who could finish any of it. So pretty much all of first grade, when any out-of-class activities was going on, for instance, music, art, gym, she would let the whole class go, and she would have them line up at the door, and she would tell me to sit at my desk and finish the worksheet. She would shut off the lights, shut the door, so no other teachers would be able to see or realize that there is a kid in the classroom. She would leave for the full hour in music or art and gym. To this day, I wonder, gosh, those other teachers have to be aware that I was not in that class. Like, why is Tammy only showing up half the time? But they didn't. So that was that was first grade. I look back at it now, and I, I just want to cry because I was already being pointed out as that kid. Second grade hits, and my parents were very, very involved in my education, in my struggles. Every night, my dad would sit down at the table with me, or my mom would sit down at the table with me, or whatever, when they're cooking meals, helping me, like one-on-one helping me, and it just never clicked. Like, it never got through, because it was always constant. Like, I was trying not to drown in the class. And so we would work on it together every night just so they could read to me or read with me or do my assignments because I had all this to do because I couldn't do it at school. So it would always come home with me. And I was so fortunate to have parents that were so involved in my life because I couldn't even imagine being a kid that did not have parents that were there every step of the way, all 13 years of kindergarten through 12th grade. And I always felt, and not at one point did my parents ever feel 
that I was burdened on them or something. I think I felt guilty though, knowing that I was doing this to my, my parents, knowing that I was making them feel this way too. So going on to third grade, I had an amazing teacher in third and in fifth grade. My fourth grade teacher, I think, was fine, but nothing stood out in fourth grade. Still dealing with the exact same struggles, though. I do feel like my fifth grade teacher was um, knew I was, I, I mean, still in fifth grade, I was reading, like, I remember them testing me, like, not even reading at a kindergarten, first grade level yet. But it seemed like when I went home with my parents, I was so much more relaxed and I could get through things so much easier than when I was at school because it was just so high anxiety, so nerve wracking. All the other kids around me, it was, it was truly awful. It was an awful experience looking back now. In our school district, they would always send around a sheet, every single test, every single assignment. And I remember getting um, 100% on every assignment just because I did them at home with my family. Every test, I knew I was going to flunk. I knew it. But so they'd send around a sheet that every kid had a number. And you would have to look at your number to see what your test score was. So my number, for instance, was like 56. So I would look down the sheet, and I would see everybody else's numbers, not knowing which kids lined up with those numbers. And I would look over, and I would see, okay, I totally bombed this test. But I would look at the whole class just to make sure there was one other kid that got a lower grade than me. And I consider that successful. I was totally fine with flunking everything. That became my norm all through, even till high school. But if one other kid was lower than me, I actually felt like I was, it was a success for the day or for the week or for the year. And which is totally crazy to think like that, but that's how I thought. And that's the only thing that got me through so many years. Like, oh my gosh, one other person did worse than me. I'm finally, I am not the worst person in this classroom. And that's pretty much my feeling all through kindergarten till senior year of high school. So once I became in sixth grade, the middle school really took it upon themselves to say something else, we need something else here. I remember them, myself, being the only student out of 375 kids that I knew of, being pulled out of either English class or one of the other classes during the day, working with the counselor one-on-one. -on -one. At the time, the stars kind of aligned because my cousin, had just, like a couple weeks prior to that, gotten tested for dyslexia, and he um, also had it. We kind of knew my dad had it and my grandma had it. So there's quite a bit in the family already. So when I went to get tested, they said no doubt instantly, like after hours and hours of testing, they said, yep, you know, and they went through all the papers with my mom and dad and all the intensive um, tests that we did through that day. And they suggested getting on a waiting list from a university that was um, within a couple hours from our house. The waiting list only took, at the time, I think around 60 kids a year. And like I said, I was in seventh grade. Um, and my mom thought it was just crazy to try to get on a waiting list for this university. But they said, no, get on it because they will take students with dyslexia and they retrain the, the brain and start with the, all the phonics and all the sounds. The eight weeks in summertime that we had to be there, um, all eight weeks, they actually took us through um, 
all of the sounds of the vowels, all of what two vowels make and how two vowels can make certain sounds. And the reason why I point out the vowels is because that was always my number one struggle. All letters are my number one struggle, honestly, but vowels for some reason, like the word because, is such a challenge to me, even to this day. Like I have to say it like almost out loud in my head before I can even write it down or read it. It's the weirdest thing, and I don't know why vowels get me so much, but they do. But like I said, any letters get me. I started as a nurse in a nursing degree and honestly could not get through the program. Like it was just too intense, even with all of the help that the university program had given us for free. Um, the, the students, the 60 students each year, we do get you know, extra time on test and reading a test to us if we need it and all these services that were amazing. But I still, I knew just in my first year of college, I could not get through because it was pretty intense, the nursing program. Um, so I switched over to business and communications because I could stand up and give a speech pretty, you know, it was considerably easier <laughs> than, than getting through all these tests in the medical field. So even though my passion was kids because I wanted to go into pediatrics, I knew that was not going to be my pathway. So I did do business and communications, and that's what I graduated with. I was also in a sorority, and the first letter of the sorority was Z. And I remember writing it backwards all the time, and I had no clue if it was right or wrong. Like, no clue. I'm like, and I didn't, I didn't both, both ways, whichever way I wrote it, they looked the same to me. And still to this day, I mean, I can't correct that, but I can learn to live with it. And so this program at the university was amazing that eight weeks that took us through all of, like I said, pretty much to start reading again and the sounds and, and how different sounds can make you know, like two different letters together can make, you know, five different sounds or 10 different sounds. And, and if I wouldn't have had that, I wouldn't have ever gotten through college, honestly. I needed much more than just going through the reading and the sounds because it seemed like every time I took a test, it would just amplify my anxiety. And so it was quite a bit of help having somebody read it to me. So I didn't have to worry about the anxiety of trying to just read the sentence or whatever multiple choice question I was given and I could just focus on the actual question and not the actual words that were down on the page so that I still struggle with that to this day when I have high anxiety. It seems like I, I do fine when it's just by myself or my husband or my mom or my dad or whoever it might be. I, I don't seem to have those struggles anymore because of the program that the university had gotten me through. I, I look back now and think it's kind of ironic and so cool at the same time that my husband and I started an educational company. I won't lie to you. I was super nervous when he came home and said, no, I want to do this better. I want to affect kids. Like I want to be that person out there affecting each and every child that doesn't have a voice. And I, I will tell you, my anxiety went through the roof, like through the roof. Like it was 13 years of horrible, like I will tell hell. I mean, sorry to swear, but it was pure hell. I mean, 13 years from kindergarten all the way to like 12th grade of many teachers telling me, you can't do this. You can't go to college. You can't do this. You can't do this. And obviously because of this program through the university that I went to, I was able to go to college. But, and then that anxiety came back. College, I was, I was okay because I had the help in college that I needed. I think um, after I left college, I felt such a weight off my shoulders because I didn't like I always live with those rocks on my shoulders, but I, I feel like I don't have to go through those challenges anymore. I don't have to have somebody look at me. You have to read this out loud right now. And if you don't, you know, you're not going to pass the class. 
well, that's, that's our reality. And I couldn't do it. I got tested and I, honestly, I can't even remember what company tested me, but when I was tested and I, we met with the um, directors of the company after that and they said, without a doubt, she has dyslexia. It was such a relief to know there was a reason. It took all that, that heartache and that feeling of a dumb child and, and kind of lifted some of that, the weight off my shoulders because it was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm not dumb. I just process things much differently than um, your quote unquote normal child should process things. And when they said, you definitely have dyslexia, it was like, okay, now, now what do we do with this? My school was never able to help me out with that. They said, okay, well, she's a person with a reading disability and it's called dyslexia. So going through those 12 years in school, kindergarten all the way through senior year of school, it was so traumatic for me. It, it still is traumatic for me today. I still feel all those feelings that I felt in school when something happens, even reading out loud in front of a group of people or just everyday life, even, even helping my kids in school. I still, every once in a while, come back to some of those traumatic things that were said to me or teachers did to me or whatever it may be because I couldn't get that in school, and I, I instantly start sweating and feel those feelings that I had in especially elementary school and middle school before I found out I had dyslexia. It did lighten up when I found out that I had dyslexia because there was a reason then, but especially in, in elementary school, I didn't have a voice, nor was I going to speak up because I felt I just became the shy, quiet kid, like that I didn't say anything because I felt like the dumb kid, and it was horrifying. It was so many tears. Coming home at nighttime, it was, it was so much counseling through my parents who weren't counselors. So even as an adult, the other day when I was looking at the, all the indicators that a person with dyslexia has, I was, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I was not wanting to believe that that is me. And um, I was embarrassed to mark, yes, these are, this, is, this is me and this is my characteristics. Um, and I think a lot of that stems from when I was younger and those years in school of just being so ashamed of being that girl that was the dumb girl. And yes, now I have quote unquote a reason because I have dyslexia. It still, it has traumatized me. I will never get over that. I will have to live with this for the rest of my life. And the tears that still come as an adult are awful. Thank you, Tammy. I know this was very difficult for you to talk about publicly and we appreciate the courage it took for you to do so. My hope is that these four stories, representing only a fraction of the population living with dyslexia, help to shed some light on the importance of our relationships as educators and parents with students who are struggling. When children believe that they are not as smart or not as talented, when they dread going to school every day and leave school feeling ashamed, the words and actions of teachers and parents matter. This is an important conversation, and we hope you'll share it. Thank you for listening. The next episode of PodClast will explore the work of the National Center on Improving Literacy, NCIL, with guests Sarah Seiko and two school administrators. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of PodClast. Visit readinghorizons.com slash podcast to listen to past episodes and download free resources. PodClass is brought to you by Reading Horizons, the creator of a data-driven literacy program for beginning readers, struggling readers, and English language learners of all ages. 
With data-informing software and teacher-led instruction, students receive targeted intervention that leads to rapid reading improvement. Visit readinghorizons.com trial for 14 days of free access to our software. Reading Horizons. Reading is for everyone.